Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to another edition of The Bird Call. First, we got to welcome back our friend, our brother, the one and only Ali Cosell. It's been far too long, buddy. Uh, glad to see you back. Um, you know, do you want to share why you've been gone or do you just want to just welcome yourself back? Yeah, no, it's good. It's been a while. Yeah, I mean, had some family issues to deal with. And I personally ended up in the hospital myself having to deal with, you know, fighting an infection and a terrible reaction to poison ivy. So, yeah, taking care of the folks in Cincinnati. Then I came back with something from their backyard, which knocked me in the hospital. So, yeah, it's been a long month for me. So I'm happy to be back. We're glad to have you, man, and 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 especially doing what you love to do, which is talk NBA basketball, particularly these New Orleans Pelicans. And last night was the 2023 NBA draft. First and foremost, the big speculation was whether or not the Pelicans would make a deal to move up to either the second or third spot in an attempt to get Scoot Henderson. That did not materialize. The Charlotte Hornets did take Brandon Miller with the second pick which made the impetus really on the Pelicans to include Zion Williamson in any package that would go to Portland. They were not willing to do that. Zion stays with the Pelicans. Brandon stays with the Pelicans. Your reaction to that uh, first and foremost. I'm no surprise that nothing happened. Look, one thing that we've learned with David Griffin is he has his eyes set on several people in every draft. And usually there's at least one or two above the Pelicans draft uh, point, right? Wherever they're drafting. So, for instance, I know he's had his eye on the pass on Franz Wagner, Josh Giddy. A couple of years ago, it was Patrick Williams. Uh, he really wanted to trade up and get him when Chicago, I believe, took him fourth in that Kyra Lewis draft. So, like I said, he's always highlighted people. He's always looked to move up. But, David, as you know, usually the cost of moving up, especially when it's a real high draft pick, especially when it comes to, like, say, Scoot Henderson, you've got to think that the costs are astronomical. And as you just mentioned, the fact that the Pelicans were not ever going to put Brandon Ingram on the table, I don't think they were even going to put Zion Williamson on the table. I don't know how you could have possibly gotten that pick, right, whether it's from Charlotte or from Portland. So if you don't have your two major studs, right, on the table, that kind of makes it more an equal trade, right, in terms of uh, the value, then it wasn't going to happen. So that was just – I think it was just a wish list that got out. And I think Griff – and, of course, the Falcons front office really like Scoot Henderson. They're already thinking ahead, it tells me, because, look, you've got Brandon, max contract. He's going to be due for another max in a couple of years, and that max is going to be a lot more expensive than this one. Zion is starting his max. Now with this new CBA, more than likely, you're going to be able to pay two maxes, and then you're really going to have to be smart with your money. And when you realize C.J. McCollum just signed an extension, Pels have other pieces, yeah, it's smart to start playing now for the future. Yeah, and I think ultimately this is something that you and I talked about before any of, you know, we got to draft week. This team was Zion Williamson, 114 games with Zion on the floor, no matter 
who is we know it's only 92 uh, games with him and BI, 93 games. And they're 46 and 47. They're 46 and 47. So they're right at 500, just you know, just under 500 with those two. But with Zion, they're 57 and 57. So they are a 500 team. Overall, though, the franchise with everybody all taken is about a 45 win, uh, a 45% winning percentage. It shows that Zion is an impactful player. It doesn't matter who he's playing with. He impacts winning. And I think ultimately, if you're David Griffin, you saw what you saw last year, and we talked about this, you were in first place, regardless of the circumstances. You understand that the NBA changes every year. There were a lot of things that you can point to, but you were what you were at the time. You were what you were after 39 games. You were in first place in the West at that point. So you saw what you could potentially be. And I think with only 114 games of this, you have to believe that David Griffin has to be that he's saying, I am willing to bet that this young man grows up and matures individually. And I'm betting on his health for one or two years. Because mm-hmm. like you said, with BI in this extension, you're just trying to get two healthy years out of Zion, really. If you can get the next two years healthy under with BI and him and writing these contracts, and you can make moves around them as it goes while you still got Trey relatively inexpensive. Herb is still going to be relatively inexpensive. You can make some deals around the periphery. I think David Griffin says, unless they make me blow it up by, by just being awful and or quitting on this, I got to give it one more chance. Yeah, because it's more than just health at play here. People just want to point at that 114 games ready to jump ship, right? I think I saw half the fan base wanting Scoot Henderson straight up for Zion, which I think is ridiculous. I think Zion is obviously as a generational talent, more valuable. And we saw that. That's the thing. Between his rookie season to now, even though he's played those 114 games, he's a much improved player, David. He's now a much better facilitator we saw last year. He was now coming up big in clutch minutes. And it happened on both ends of the court. That's the biggest thing to me. We started seeing him doing things defensively that we saw at Duke finally, right, in his fourth year. So you can't give up on that. You saw him caring about winning. That's an MVP-style player out there, right? So you absolutely have to ride it out, especially when, like I said, there's no better options. There's nothing obviously better out there. And, Ali, this is still this is what bothers me. This is a fan base that still laments the fact that the Pelicans did not overspend to retain DeMarcus Cousins coming off of an Achilles tear. Remember, there's a significant amount. Of, every year you hear about people say they should have just paid him more money. They should have offered him more money to come back. Boogie Cousins, here we are. Zion Williams, Boogie, as talented as Boogie was. We love Boogie. You and I mm-hmm. both mm-hmm. love his game. As talented, he's not Zion Williamson. Zion no. Williamson, the best, is the only player that this franchise has ever had who can win you a championship. He's the only one. And to throw that away, you better be sure because you're betting a lot of people's careers on that. The, the, the loss in keeping him is far less in the loss and giving him away and watching him flourish somewhere else in the next year or two. We saw him play 29 games, but between game one and towards before he got hurt, I saw a player who was commanding the attention of three different individual defenders on the best defenses, the Bucks. Remember that? They were loading up when he had the ball. So Drew was on him, Giannis and Brooke Lopez in help coverage near the rim. Sixers did the same thing, P.J. Tucker on him. Then you had Tobias Harris and Embiid floating around in the same area. And that took Zion a minute. But that tells me, boy, 
three different guys on one. And then oh. you've also got Brandon Ingram, but Brandon wasn't playing at the time. But imagine yeah. if Brandon was. Now you've got Trey. Teams are going to have to pick their poison. That's why you've got to keep Zion. He is such a wrecking ball, David. He's such an efficient offensive machine score, despite the fact he draws all this attention, right? He's only going to get better. We saw his free throw percentage has improved. I've already mentioned the defense. He started shooting things outside of the layup, right? Shooting more kind of deeper in the lane, even a few shots outside of the lane. I think that's going to continue to grow. So he, to me, is still so young, right? I mean, in terms of those counters. He hasn't seen enough defensively to to have counter moves yet. Yeah. Um, The the improvements we've seen is what I'm pointing to. mm -hmm. That's why I am so, so optimistic. You just got to figure out a way to get him healthy, especially for him. Somebody's got to reach him, David, right, to where he really, right? Basketball, you've been – I know you're only 22, but you've been doing this for four years. It is time to get serious, 100% all the time. Yeah, and – you know, we'll see if that happens, but you got to make that bet if you're the New Orleans Pelicans because yeah. you don't. If it, the, the fact of the matter is, if you give up Zion Williamson, you give up the opportunity to win a championship. Yes. And, who's and the next MVP? Right. Who's the next potential MVP candidate you're bringing in? We uh, don't uh, think until you get another guy. Until right? you get another one of these. Drew Henderson is not likely to be that talent, right? Only the so. 6'2 guy who's done it, who's right. not named Isaiah Thomas. I'm saying Steph Curry is 6'4 and shoots it from 40 feet. That's not Scoot Henderson. Scoot Henderson, even if Scoot Henderson lives up to the comparisons, Russell Westbrook, John Wall, whatever, Mm -hmm. those are all number one picks who never got past the first round of a playoff series as the lead player. Mm -hmm. And the Pelicans as a team have never gotten past the first round with anybody on this roster. So what are you adding to that? You're not adding winning and you're not adding, you're not raising the ceiling. You're raising your floor. But that is that cannot be the goal. And if David Griffin settles for just for that type of floor raising by giving away your best player, not fixing your bench, not dealing with those types of things. If you give away your best player to raise your floor, this has not been Simmons. I don't see Zion as a kid who doesn't want to play basketball. I see this as a young man who's going through some stuff, who needs to figure it out and grow up and become a professional. But ultimately, I think he wants to play basketball, he wants to be liked, and he wants to win. I believe all three of those things to be true. I do, too. I'm glad you're mentioning this because that's a good comparison. I'm around the team a lot where it's practices or just getting before games and such. And so I've had a lot of that kind of contact with all of these players um, firsthand. And I'll tell you what, Zion does say hi to ushers. He says hi to me in passing. I also see that he cares. So when you read about him being so disjointed by several outlets, said in passing just one or two sentences saying where he doesn't hang out with teammates, that's kind of true, right? Yes, he does in the offseason stick more to himself, right? He's not the type that's going to organize workouts, or at least he hasn't. He's not the type that's going to hang out with teammates every single night, right? But th- at the same time, that doesn't make him a bad teammate is what I'm getting at. Because everything I see is that – his teammates really like him. And yeah, he's he not a loon for distant. He's just not the leader. Not yet. He may get there, but definitely not right now. And so people have to understand it's not either or. He's somewhere in the middle. So what I'm saying is there's still hope that he could really turn all this around, right? I, 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 that's why that's another reason why I think we should actually be singing the praises of David Griffin. Because, boy, those Zion rumors got loud. I'm reading outlets from The Ringer. For instance, saying you've got to trade Zion now. Otherwise, you're going to have another Bradley Beal situation on your hands. And that's laughable. Beal was in Washington for 11 years. They had a mediocre team for, what, the last five? 
They made the playoffs five years. And how's that the Pelicans? How's that Zion? No. So, yeah, people love to jump to a narrative, go to either end, and and we're nowhere there on either end. And Bradley Beal, yeah, again, Bradley Beal's never an MVP candidate. Bradley Beal would would, no. You're not talking about – at no point were you saying Bradley Beal was one of the top three or four players in the league. Never. And people who could And when you trade Zion, guess what? You're not just getting a few seconds and pick swaps for Zion. I don't care if he's going to have even you, – You better get at least the Gobert deal. You better get a Gobert deal. Yeah, you can't sell low on a talent like that. That's right. Yeah. No. And, <laughs> I, and I, the other part people need to remember, too, is as good as Zion's statistics were last year, as you talked about those first 10 games of the season when he was trying to relearn how to play NBA basketball because mm-hmm. he had not played in a year at more – than a year. Yeah, you he saw it in his finishing. He couldn't finish. He he didn't have that touch in games. Yeah. During that, or, that's not Zion Williamson. Fifty percent is not Zion Williamson. Sixty-five percent, sixty-three percent. That's Zion Williamson. So you take those ten games and you pull that out, and you talk about those last nineteen that he played. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it, the sky is still the limit, and I think you just have to bet on talent. All right, let's talk about the guy that the Pelicans did take. Um, the guy that you thought would be the, the the acceptable option based on who most people thought he would by the consensus he was the second most picked player for the pelicans at spot 14 jordan hawkins the 6-4 combo guard out of yukon what do you like about jordan hawkins well everybody already knows right one of the best if not the best shooter coming out he's got the prettiest form he shot 40%. He's really good when it comes to uh, spot-ups. So anything that's basically going to be where he's not creating his own offense, he's he's a walking bucket from really anyone to court. And that has, of course, been one of the Pelicans' biggest issues, right, over the last few years, shooting. They don't have enough. So when at 13 you saw Hawkins and Grady Dick sitting there, I got excited because I would be happy with either one. And, of course, the Pelicans did end up with one. They ended up with a guy who I think that Trajan Langdon and David Griffin did a good job in describing to us after the draft last night. I think it's important that he had two years in college, that he went through a championship run, right, six games. And, David, he shined. He scored he wasn't great as a freshman. Yeah. The amount of improvement he also had from his freshman year, sophomore year, you, you almost can't even compare the seasons. You saw it in his skill set, his comfortableness. And me, I personally saw him play a couple of games before the March Madness. I always like to do that, that with uh, several prospects. And the two games I picked actually was Vill- against Villanova because I also wanted to see Cam Whitmore. And I'll tell you what, in that December matchup, their first matchup, Cam Whitmore didn't even look like, a, like an NBA prospect. I know he was just fresh off of uh, coming off of some kind of injury where he didn't get to start playing at the start of the season, right, with his team. But anyways, my eyes went to Jordan Hawkins. And that was simply because this guy is a constant mover. They say he's the best movement shooter. But I also liked everything else he did on the court. So that's why I'm not going to talk to you more about the shooting. It's it's the other things I saw that makes me think he's going to be able to give you real minutes on an NBA floor. I know he's tiny. First thing you notice him, he's, he's really thin, David. And that's my biggest thing. He's got to put on weight, and it's good weight, right? Strength. Because to me, he looks like... Tyrese Halliburton got zapped with like a miniaturizer gun, right? Stand about the same height, but boy, that muscle mass is nowhere close. But they have like the same shoulder build, right? They, they kind of have that same frame to me. But Hawkins looks like he's maybe 40 pounds lighter. That's got to change. But what I saw in the court is he can get you 
um, other plays. He can make other plays. Like he's a willing defender. You see him running out of cl- closeouts. He's alert off the ball. So he's in the good position when he's off the ball. He's in the right space, in the right stance. So when someone's trying to make a cross or pass, for instance, he's getting a hand on it. I saw him in that second game against Villanova come up with one steal just because he was alert, tipped another. And then everything else, honestly, that comes down to me is he's just smart. He's just savvy. He knows how to play the game. And I think that's the type. And Fish mentioned this on a tweet. There's a type that the Pelicans are looking for. They want actual basketball players who are grinders, who will fight. And I'll tell you what, he impressed me. As for Whitmore's got issues with the motor, understanding just the simplest things about the game, Hawkins is just the opposite. You know, for instance, I saw him, even though he's not a point guard, he's directing his teammates on offense. So it tells me he's in his focus, it's ultra sharp. He's eager to execute. And then, for instance, a shot goes up, he's boxing out. He had to box out Whitmore in one play. He didn't do a good job, but he did enough to where one of his teammates grabbed the ball. I mean, he's an adequate rebounder for a kid that frail. Yeah, and it did did this, David. Let me just mention this other fact. Then there was a shot that went up on his side. He crashed the glass. Because he knew where the ball was coming off, because his instincts are good, he got to the ball ahead of Whitmore and had the putback. So even though Whitmore is by far the bigger, better athletic specimen, Hawkins outshined him easily. And so that stood out to me. So like I said, the Hawkins pickup, I think is fantastic for the Pels. They needed more shooting. But this guy's not going to embarrass himself because of things that maybe he people think he can't do on a court. I think in time, like Trajan Langdon said, once he picks up on the speed of the game, he's going to be fine. Yeah, here's what I like about him. And because, you know, one of the things you understand is that if the Pelicans are a healthy team, there are not a lot of minutes to go around. So you have to, we said any rookie who came in needed to have a skill set that other people didn't have, that that it it was going to get you on the floor. And I think it's going to be very interesting, and we'll talk about Summer League in a moment, but I think it's going to be very interesting if you get to see a lineup with Kyra Lewis at the point, uh, Jordan Hawkins at the two, and Dyson Daniels at the three. Because I like that group with Kyra penetrating, I like, and, and Kyra's a guy who has that extra length, even at his 6'4", is longer than that. You know, um, Hawkins mm-hmm. is a guy, like you said, that narrow build, kind of a Richard, uh, compared a lot to Richard Hamilton. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. But also in his style of movement, his, his ability to cut around screeners and his ability to read defenses and get into those gaps in the area and get off a shot very quickly. That's something a bench player needs to be able to do. You're not going to get a lot of time to make your shot. You're not, you're usually going to be at the end of a shot clock. So you need to be coming off of movement and prepared to set your feet quickly, or you need to be able to to operate in that mid range when things are chaotic, get up a floater or a shot or, or short range shot. And I think he can do all of those things in short bursts, which is all you're going to ask him to do if this team is playing the way it's supposed to. Pelicans need another guy that's going to create gravity out there. And it can't be Zion or B.I. where the attention, of course, is on them with the ball, mostly, right? Of course, you've got Trey, C.J. McCollum to an extent, too. But that was it. And, of course, if you have any injuries, well, you're behind the eight ball. So I think Hawkins instantly gives it to you because not only can he make the shot, especially the Oaklands, he can move amazingly well. And it's not just to create himself three-point shots. Right. You know, in, in the two games I saw, he was back cutting, cutting through the lane five times a half, it seemed like. 
guess what? His teammates never found him. They don't know how to play basketball, right? So they miss him. He, he, he wasn't like hanging his head, but he, he kind of, you could see like, well, you missed me again. His teammates here on the Pelicans, they're not going to miss him, right? NBA players don't miss those type of plays. So I just feel like, like I said, his gravity, because they were face guarding him and he was getting constantly free. He knows how to get himself open. So I love that for the Pelicans offense. And like you mentioned, David, finding the seams is so important, right? Knowing how to get your own shot off in the NBA when you're not one of these either seven-footers or guy that can jump out of the gym, that is very key. So his transition, I think, is going to be kind of more seamless than most, right? Give him maybe half a season to where I think he'll start contributing something positive. And that seemed to be what Langton, Langton was echoing to me yesterday. And Ali, I want to make this point really quickly. The guy that you were identifying that the Pelicans were going to go after as an assistant, James Brega, becomes an assistant with the Pelicans. This is the type of guard that he yeah. loves to work with. And his offense is built for young men. With this body type, skill set, this is the perfect tool for James Borrego. Yeah, look, the Pelicans didn't really need uh, to create that type of offense for anybody because they didn't have anybody, right? C.J. McCollum, when he first started in Portland, ran off a lot more screens, right? The last couple of years or so, he's not doing it. He creates now his offense when he first catches on the pass. Then he goes, whether it's a screen, whether, you know, it's making some kind of play. But I love that now they've got somebody that can do things off the ball. Even though Trey does it to a sense, to an extent, he's not the type of mover that you're going to mm -hmm. see what Hawkins is, right? He's so much more Reggie Miller, Rip Hamilton, right? Those guys. And that gives you such another important facet to right creating an offense to be able to score getting good looks because the Pelicans they didn't always they weren't always able to do that right last year right they became very guardable at times yeah. you want to make the defense work and and the Pelicans had did not do that well at times and I think he's going to work well with Herb Jones another person who yeah. looks to do things off the ball I think that there there's a good meld of skills there um the Pelicans go into summer league uh on July 7th they play the first game of the Las Vegas Summer League, um, when they get there, they have announced a couple of players who will be um, on the roster in Tavian Jones and Landers Nolly. I got to see Landers Nolly play um, as part of the Tulane broadcast team. He is an incredible, consistent outside shooter, very long, uh, you know, gives you a lot of length at, at six, seven, six, eight, depending on how you measure him, Arms, arm length a five-year player in college. So again, that Pelicans profile of maturity, having been through it and Cincinnati, a program that did very well last year, uh, you know, competitively, he was at the center of that for them. Uh, what, are, what are your thoughts on who they've added? Yeah. Since I went to undergrad and I got my degree at Cincinnati, I of course always catch at least a few of their games every year and he caught my eye. He's a guy that, you know, he, his athleticism doesn't scream at all in an NBA player. But I'll tell you what, his height and his length and his understanding of, of the game, and, and he does things that I think he understands, which honestly is just scoring. And, and he does it well, so he knows how to find space, how to run off a screen, um, even in, in games when guys are overplaying, how to get to the free throw line. So I saw a guy that honestly is going to be able to step right in again, another one like Hawkins, who's going to be able to um, play the game. Now, whether he can do it and get even NBA mints is an entirely different thing, but I like the fact that he's not going to be somebody that's going to need two years development. Right. And and the biggest thing everybody knows today's game is, is shooting. <laughs> We're going to hammer this point every year, probably until what we're 80 years old, because you can never have enough shooting and the Pelicans definitely did. So 
We already highlighted Hawkins shot close to 40% overall from three. Um, Nolly was better, and he, he was fantastic on catching shoots and off of what spot-ups, knockdown opportunities. So you buy him as an NBA shooter. I do. I see he can at minimum, if he works at it, become like a Duncan Robinson because he's about 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, Length is about 6'11". So he's going to be able to get a shot over people. And the, the question is everything else. Can he stay on the court? because of his defensive side. And in his first couple of years, I didn't really see him. Maybe you did, David, but I know you played, what, for Memphis and Virginia Tech. So I think I only caught one game, and I don't remember it. But in Cincinnati, I saw a guy who was passable defensively. And when I did some research, his senior year, he did a much better job defensively, but it's still not NBA, say, average quality, right? So that's going to somehow have to improve. But it's not a guy that's slow, per se. So I think, honestly, it's just getting in the gym, right, working on positioning, understanding where your man's going to be, um, having a little bit more explosive hips, right, and that's all just training so you're a little bit quicker because he's got the length. He just he has to have three different programs. He went through three different programs. He really didn't get coached well until yeah. senior year, um, you know, at Cincinnati. He didn't have a lot of team success. And I think, again, he was a kid who was looking for his game and then found it as a perimeter shooter, you see the number of attempts just skyrocket mm-hmm. um, the last couple of seasons. And he just figured out, yeah, I can do this. And his dad, people would need to, re- he, he comes from a basketball heritage. His dad played at LSU, was also a shooter, you know, a guy who could play um, really well. So, and then the Pelicans do get a big, not the Yeah, big- one thing I want to say real quick, Deb, I forgot to mention, with Nolly, he's not just a three-point shooter. When you watch him and in the games I saw him, you know what he's good at? He's good at shooting off-balance shots. He shoots a number of off of one-foot mid-range shots, step-backs, all sorts of things that kind of are more YMCA old school. So the fact that he's not—he's a—he's honestly a poor uh, finisher because he doesn't have the athleticism doesn't really scare me because he knows how to get his shot, create his shot, get it somewhere between, what, say, 25 and maybe 12 feet. And, and that's good enough to create yourself someday a bench off or a play or a, a roll off the bench for yourself. Yeah. Um, on the, the at, up front, you know, look, we knew that this draft did not have a lot of bigs, but the big they do get, you go to Vanderbilt, you get Liam um, uh, Robbins, and he's a guy who in only 23 minutes a game for the Vanderbilt Commodores led the SEC in total blocks and blocks per game, averaged 15 points, not a great rebounder, but shot 37% from three-point range. And this wasn't the only year he, he averaged around two attempts over the last three seasons of his collegiate career. So a poor man's, you know, um, Brooke Lopez, maybe is what you're looking at at this stage. A guy who's developmental and, and, and maybe in a couple of years, he becomes something. And if an emergency is a third center this year. Yeah, you could see it, right? Because look, the Pelicans might have some openings soon. We don't know what's going to happen with any of their centers. Jackson Hayes, restrictor free agent. Willie uh, Hernan Gomez uh, has what? I think one more year left, but it's a team option. And the and Pelicans may decide here. just to let him out of it, right? Not not pick it up because he wants to go somewhere else, and maybe they want to go in a different direction. And, of course, Jonas Valanciunas, his name was in trade rumors before the deadline last year. So conceivably, the Pelicans could remake their entire uh, roster at center position. And it wouldn't surprise me. And maybe that could create a space for Robbins. But I'll tell you what, it's going to hurt. He's not going to play in Vegas, right? He's out with a foot injury till August. August and August. But he got a camp invite. And so, you know, again, I think for him, as a big – Summer League is not really great for bigs anyway. 
You know, sure. Summerlee tends to be a guard-oriented, you know, perimeter focus of a lot of guys trying to get shots up. You, unless you're just going to get a ton of rebounding numbers, and that's not his thing. He's not going to, you know, eat the glass. Um, he never has uh, in his career. So I think it, it maybe this is the best thing. And if uh, and based on where we've been with the Pelicans and injuries, hey, kid, rest, be ready for camp. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And, and you just remind me, we're going to see E.J. Liddell this summer, too. Let's not forget to include – we should at least talk about him some point too. Yeah, and we'll we'll do that. Yeah, right. Was we get before that uh, to, to once they announce mm-hmm. the full roster of who we get to see, and of course Darren Seaburn. You're trying to see what he, he brings as well as a scorer um, and as a defender next year as well. Last thing, real quick, and this is just a note. Um, word is is that the Pelicans are coming to an agreement with Aaron Miles, uh, Boston Celtics assistant, who. Not that long ago, less than a month ago, people were assumed was headed to Houston to rejoin M.A. Udoka's staff uh, because he had been with the Celtics the last two seasons. Um, This is kind of a coup. He and Willie Green did work together with the Warriors a long time ago, like about eight years ago. But, you know, this is a guy who's got a, a history in player development. He's coached at the collegiate level. He worked his way up through the NBA level to an assistant, you know, doing all the work there. So he's a grinder as a coach. He's somebody Willie Green trusts, which I think is important. The two guys that you've added in Borrego and in Miles are people he had pre-existing relationships with that he trusts in some way. And I think this is his one chance. And I think this is something we also talked about, Ali. If he was going to go down, let me go down with my people, the people that I need around me. Yeah, I agree. I think it's kind of almost been unfair the amount of criticism he's taken in his first two years. For a rookie head coach, you've got to give allowances. And then suddenly you're putting him in a situation where he's honestly surrounded by unfamiliar people, right? I mean, he's only been coaching for, what, a handful of years. What was it three, I think, with Golden State, a couple with Phoenix? That's, David, as we know, that that that's nothing compared to how long most of these coaches, right, carve out a career for 20, 30 years. So, it wasn't surprising me the mistakes that we've seen. Uh, but I do know that he has a good understanding, right? He just needs help in, I think, executing his vision. Because I don't know how many times he told us how many threes, for instance, he wants his team to shoot. When we were all harping about they're just not shooting enough threes. They were trying to pass that message, a coaching staff, that is, to the players all the time. It just, like I said, it didn't translate. So getting more people that I think he trusts and probably figuring out a way to convey that message is only going to help. And of course, other areas too. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I think that I wish I knew a little bit more about Aaron Miles, but I do know more about James Borrego. And I think that the fact that they've got a history together, that Borrego has certain, and we've touched on it, um, elements that he adds to where I think there's weaknesses with Willie. Like for instance, clutch minutes. I think Willie's had some issues, right? We've talked about that because he's stubborn. He likes to resort to what he knows at times. That's where with clutch minutes, you've got to go more by, I feel like, feel of the game, what's going on, right? Unless you have a Chris Paul out there, but the Pelicans don't, right? So I think Borrego is going to help in that instance. So, like I said, having suddenly these fresh faces that he's familiar with who bring certain things, qualities that he may lack, it's going to help. Like you said, that last year in Charlotte, Borrego's team led the NBA, uh, led the NBA in three-point attempt. Well, well, top five, excuse me, in three-point attempts, percentage, makes, you know, uh, they were doing and, and pace. And so everything that the Pelicans Pelicans fans did not see last they year. They overachieved too, David. That's a big thing for me. Remember, Willie Green kind of overachieved. 10 games kind of in two Everything consecutive. else has been underachieving, so that helps, yeah. And, and, and like you said with the clutch numbers, 
no matter how bad they were from year to year, they were still good in clutch games. Yeah. And that was consistent. every year, yeah. every year. So yeah, it didn't matter what level of talent he was going to get. He, sque- he squeezed the most out of it in the most intense situations. So that's a, uh, that pretty much covers it for draft for the draft. We will get with you, like we said, as soon as the Pelicans announce uh, that summer league roster. We'll talk about what we'd like to see there, um, and uh, we will have more stuff coming for you on the bird rights. Ali, any final words before we get out of here? Yeah, definitely summer league stuff. It's good to be back, and of course, free agency. Yeah, we got to solve the center position, so we're going to be talking about that a lot too. Yep, you're right. Uh, until the next time, he is Ali Cosell. I am David Grubb. This has been the Bird Box.